Is that Abba Father? Abba Father. What are you folks singing? If you're new or you haven't thought of that, what are you folks talking about Abba Father? That's the Aramic language for Father. He's our Abba Father. Some people says Daddy, I guess. But Abba Father. He is our Father. Amen. Thank you for coming and being with us today. We're spread out. I long for the day once again when I can hug necks and shake hands and be sitting together and all of those things. But thank you for coming. Dads, thank you for so much. And again, happy Father's Day. We appreciate you so very much. Some of the ladies of the church and others have planned for a gift. It's out, I think, on the sidewalk as you go out the doors. Every father, please get a gift. And uh, it's good to have some of our uh, people that we haven't seen in quite some time. We thank you for coming and being with us today. Someone said there's a father factor today. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children in America, one out of every three, live in biological father-absent homes. Nine in ten American parents agree that this, my friend, what's a crisis? This is a crisis. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the social issues facing America today. But the hope lies in the fact that children with involved fathers do better across every measure of child well-being than their peers in father-absent homes. And they found in a study examining father involvement with 134 children of adolescent mothers over the first 10 years of life, researchers found that father-child contact was associated with better sociological, emotional, and academic functioning. The results indicated that children with more involved fathers experienced fewer behavioral problems and scored higher on reading achievement. This study showed the significance of the role of the fathers in the lives of at-risk children, even in case of non resident fathers. Children in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. And in 2011, 12% of children in married couple families were living in poverty compared, listen to this, to 44%, that's 12%, 44% of children in mother-only families. Children born to single mothers show higher levels of aggressive behavior than children born to married mothers. Infant mortality rates are 1.8 times higher for infants of unmarried mothers than for married mothers. A study of 109 juvenile offenders indicated that family structure significantly predicts delinquency. Being raised by a single mother raises the risk of teen pregnancy. And in many cases, the absence of a biological father contributes to the increased risk of child maltreatment. And one more. There is significantly more drug use among children who do not live with their mother and 
their father. That's sobering statistics. And we know today how important, how important that fathers really are. Someone said it this way. Let me read this. Well, here it is, Father's Day again. It's another of the holidays created by the greeting card companies to increase our guilt and their income. I don't know. I am always amazed, he said, at how we treat Father's Day. On Mother's Day, we often hear sermons exalting the role of the mother of the family. Mothers are encouraged, praised, and lifted up as the most important person in the home. And we should, and rightfully so, thank our godly mothers. Then there's Father's Day. Dad comes to church and hears a sermon on how he does not measure up as a father. Dad comes, he is told about some biblical father and the perfect life he lived, and Dad leaves feeling like a failure who will never measure up as far as being a dad. Well, Dad... I have two pieces of news for you today. First of all, you're a special person too. I want to say something very, very important. We have some of the greatest fathers in this church than I have ever seen. We have men in this church that are leaders. Men in this church that they think on their feet. And they carve out time not only for their family, but they carve out time and certainly give to God. Fathers, and I appreciate, would you, ladies and everyone that's not a father, would you give our dads a great big hand for their service? <laughs> Ray, it's so good to see you and change much. What's happening? Hadn't seen you in a good while to be here with your dad. What, a, what an honor. And all of you, whoever, and you come to be with dad or you came and your dad is here. And dad, thank you so very much for your leadership. I'm going to tell you, we wouldn't be in the trouble we were in on our streets today if we had more dads that would step up to the plate. Amen. All right. All right. You know, I I began to think about a sermon for dad. And of course, I've been preaching and pastoring for 51 years, and I've preached many Father's Day sermons. And I, I began to think about Job. Job is a, a book that you wouldn't ordinarily go to to find good characteristics about a dad, but it is. It is a great Father's, what? Father's Day message book. Yes, you can say it that way. But I'm going to read some scriptures found in Job chapter 1. I'm going to read five verses. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born of him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. 
Job was the Bill Gates of his day. He was a very, very wealthy man. Had seven boys, wow, and three daughters, ten children. Verse 4, and the sons would go and feast in their houses each of his, on his appointed day. Uh, one translation said they had birthday parties, birthday parties, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning, listen to this, and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Not just one, not just eight, not just nine, but all ten, he offered a sacrifice. This was not necessarily the mosaic sacrifice. Periacal sacrifice, the patriarchs, Abraham. This, they said that Job lived during that time. I don't know. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and that's when, my friend, that worship was administered by the father of each family. He offered and ministered. Let me read on. Let me read on. Uh, where did I stop? For Job said, it is maybe that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did it regularly. It was a practice of Job. Job was a man, and I'm going to go to verse 8. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth or on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Job was an enormously wealthy man. He owned, we just read all these things that he owned. He lived in Southeast Palestine nearly 3,000 years ago during the time of Abraham, during the time of Isaac, and during the time of Jacob. He had seven sons and three daughters, but, three daughters, but there was much more of his legacy than his bank account. Job is an example of a godly father that courageously led his uh, family. The opening of the book of Job gives us important information concerning the character and concerning Job as an example as a father. And according to Job 1, 1 through 5, he was an exceptional father. Notice the four characteristics. I hope you have your outline. Uh, we usually give them out. We're not giving them out. We're not receiving an offering. Thank you for giving and no support to this church. First of all, he was, the Bible says, he was blameless. And I think as we look, guys, and go through these uh, characteristics of Job, I think all of these should be our goal that we want to measure up. And I think many of us do, many of you do measure up to these wonderful characteristics of Job. He was blameless. Now the idea here is walking, notice it, number one, with integrity, number two, with sincerity, and number three, with consistency. Don't you believe we need some homes with consistency in those homes? That is so vitally, vitally 
important. It has been said that if you want a stable family, you must start with a stable dad. Can I get a couple of amens there? It's important that dad be the, you know, I believe that dad needs to take, he needs to be the first one that says, we're going to say grace. He needs to be the first one that says, hey, we're going to go to church. If you want a stable family, you got to start with a stable dad. Number two, the Bible says that Job was upright. He was known for his straightforwardness. Job was known for his honesty. And listen to this one. This rings a bell. He was known, my friend, for his sense of justice in his dealing with all people. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, the Living Translation said, It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. You know, it's hard to teach children and your sons and daughters to be honest if they're always seeing you pull the trump card out from under the table, changing your mind, telling things that's not true. We need to teach them to be honest, but we need to show them more how to be honest. First of all, blameless. Second of all, he was upright. And then I love this one. Fearing God. The theme verse of Proverbs. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. This is not a sense of being afraid of God. But, listen at me. But recognizing God's holiness and having a sense of all in his presence. Do people fear? They don't fear nothing. They don't fear the law. They don't want no law. They don't fear God. But I believe in what, what the writer, the wise man said here in Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good place to say amen. Amen. It's important that we know the importance of fearing God. This is not as a sense of, of, of being afraid of God, but recognizing God's holiness and having a sense of awe in his presence. That's what we were doing here today. Knowing that God is in this place, honoring him, respecting him, having a sense of all in the very presence of God. That's important. And Job did that. Not only was he blameless, not only was Job upright, he feared God. And then fourthly, turning away from evil. A prophet, was it Psalms or Proverbs? I will set no evil thing before me. How many of you know it's time for men to stand up and be men and say, I'm not going to allow evil in my home. I'm not going to allow, allow evil in my life. This was an active spiritual battle to keep evil away from him and his family. He was characterized by moral integrity. Proverbs 14, 16, I love it. A wise man fears and departs from evil. It bites. It will destroy you. 
We think we're having fun with all of these addictions and all of these, quote, exciting things. But later on, we find out it destroys our bodies. It destroys our lives. It destroys our testimony. It destroys us individually, spiritually. So it's important, my friend, that we turn away from evil. It has been said to keep everything out of your home that could keep Christ out of your children's lives. What do you allow to come in the home? Oh, you say magazines and internet stuff. It don't matter. Yes, it does. God help us to take a stand against evil. Against evil. Evil will destroy you. Sin takes its toll. There is a penalty. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. And so it's important. Job not only was blameless, Job was upright. Job not only was upright, he feared God and then he turned away from evil. Then he knew what it was to be an intercessor for his children. Can you imagine? Every time they had a party, doesn't mean it was a bad or something went on evil in the party. But Job thought to himself, listen, my sons, even my daughters may have said something, done something. And so as a father, he took and sacrificed before the Lord. He knew how to intercede for God. He knew how to hold on for God. Michael, where's Michael? You back here. You heard the story of Ralph and his son that was run over. I think it was by a car. As a little boy, he was run over by a car. And he, there's no way he could live. Ralph's, Ralph's father took his, up his little boy. His scout was rolled back. He took, he took Ralph up and he took him home. And he laid him on his, his bed. And he got at the foot of that bed and he started praying. And he started praying. He prayed a day. He prayed a night. He prayed another day. He prayed another night. Nothing seemed to happen. They came and were going to take Ralph from him and make, him, make this dad take him to the hospital. He said no. He stood his ground. He interceded. And he prayed for his son. And Brother Dan, God touched that son. God touched Ralph's heart, raised him up, became a great minister of the gospel. He was the president of the Full Gospel Fellowship, and he pastored, pastored a great church in Detroit, Michigan. Dad, it's time, listen, it's time for us to intercede for our children. Pray. No matter where they are. You see, the prodigal dad he watched it I don't think he just sat on that porch and watched for him to come home I think he interceded God give us some dads that will intercede intercede for our children 
Look at number two. I love this. I just reveled in this number two. Watch it with me. Jesus referred to his father as my father 53 times. My father. In the Gospels. He referred to his father as our father 21 times. So Jesus is praying, talking about his father, God, Jehovah, Yahweh. He said, my father. Then he said, our father, 21 times in the gospel. Jesus calls him your father 21 times. 21 times our father, 21 times your father. How many of you know he's your father? God is my father. You know, when Jesus came on the scene and he was talking to the religious leaders of his day and he talked about God being his father, they became so angry at him because they did not know God in an intimate way. They could not comprehend. The Jews could not comprehend. The religious leaders could not comprehend of the God Almighty, of Yahweh, Jehovah, being my father. And the devil, when you go through a trial and you're facing some kind of situation, he don't want you to realize he's your father. He loves you. He'll take care of you. And he'll always choose for you what is best. So it's my father, our father, your father. You see, the same father of Jesus Christ is my and your father. Amen? Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, there it is, Abba, Father. We've been adopted. And the word adoption means to place as a son. So when you come to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior, you are ad adopted into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter. I want you to know that. You are a son or a daughter. Never let the devil make you think that you're not a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. Praise God. Every born again believer is a child of the king adopted. And you'll always be because when you're adopted, you're adopted. Hallelujah. You are adopted. Lest the transcendent God. The Jews had no, as I said, no concept of God being their father. They did have words for God. Of course, they would not even mention them. There were some they would not even mention they, they, it was so, it was, they had, they had so much reverence for God. They didn't call him that. But I want you to notice as I end this sermon, first of all, what the Jews needed at any given time usually dictated what they called him. Now he's our father. Jesus introduced us into a relationship with God.
God. Not only a relationship with God, but an intimate relationship with God. Really, really intimate relationship with God. And when you're crying and hurting and, 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 and discourage him sometimes, not literally, but you can feel his hand reach out and touch you and call you son and call you daughter. He knows when you're hurting. First of all, in Genesis 22 and 14, and this is when Abraham had offered Isaac up and God provided a lamb, he named that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. How many of you know that? You ever been to a place and you really need him to come and, and provide for you when you didn't see any way out? He is your Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Let me tell you something. It's very important. When you have a need in your life, God will provide you with that need. Let's clap on that. Would you clap on that? When you have a need, he'll be your Jehovah Jireh. And look at the second one. Jehovah Shalom. Judges. I had to read a lot on this one. It's when Gideon, the Midianites, had come out against Israel, and they needed a, lit uh, a leader, so they, God chose Gideon, this man named Gideon. Well, he had to send an angel, or he did send an angel to Gideon, and he just was in the very presence of this angel. He was just almost overwhelmed, and it gave him such a peace. He named it Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. So when you look on your television, which maybe we shouldn't look as much, and see all the mess that's going on in the world today, and we get afraid and anxious, just say, Lord, you are my Jehovah Shalom. You're my peace. Hallelujah. Thirdly, they called him Jehovah Shammah. Now, I really had to study this one. It's found in Ezekiel. It's found in the last chapter, and it's found in the last. Is the air conditions on, or are the air conditions on? Please, if they're not, I know you did check them, I think. Turn them down to 69 or something, because a lot of people are fanning in here. I don't want anybody fainting on me, please. Don't lose this. Jehovah Shammah. Ezekiel, the last chapter, the last verse. Ezekiel's telling all about the restoration of Israel. Ezekiel is telling all about the restoration of cities. He says here in this verse that God is present and he calls him Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there. Where are you at today? You say, preacher, you don't know where I'm at today. I'm in trouble. I'm hurting. My kids, my grandkids, my finances, my, my suffering, whatever. I want you to know the Lord is here. Doesn't matter where you are. Nobody else may know what's, what you're going through. Nobody else, no one else may know where you're hurting. But I want you to know God knows you're hurting. And God not only, not only knows where you're hurting, he's there. And so the city, Jerusalem, which is during the time of the millennial, 
Jerusalem, the Lord, is there. This new city, this millennial city, the Lord is there. I tell you what, let's do this morning. What is, this, what is the name of Durham? Durham, of course. What is it called? The city of medicine. But it's also called Bull City. Now, you know why, you know why Durham is called Bull City? Bull tobacco. It was named from tobacco. How many of you less will agree with me? Durham needs to change its name. I kind of like the new name that I'm going to give Durham. Jehovah Shammah. You want to know where you're living? Somebody say, what, what city you live in? I live in Shammah. I mean, they look like you. Whoa, what are you talking about? Where's Shammah? Let me tell you about Shammah. Shammah. God is here. God is here. God needs to reign in these streets. God needs to reign in the mayor's office. God needs to touch the city council. God needs to touch the county manager and county commissioners and the city manager. God needs to touch our police force. God needs to reign over this city, Shama. 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 I want this city to realize that God is here. And then we'll go to Psalms 23, Jehovah Rahai. I like that one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation, Brother Morris says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. <laughs> you lacking something? You're lacking something. Are you battling something mentally? Are you battling something emotionally? You don't have to go to a priest, not even a pastor. It's good to go to the pastor, a praying, a praying brother or sister. But you can crawl out of your bed at night, turn back the cover, crawl out of bed. When the doctors give you a bad word, you're not doing well. They rushed Doug, Tyler, to the hospital this week, to the emergency room. And the doctors said, it's not good, Mr. Tyler. It's not good, Mr. Tyler. They stayed there hour after hour after hour. Finally, Emily, the wife, and Sophie, the daughter, went home. And Doug's still there. The doctor's checking him out, checking him out. In the meantime, this brother was praying. In the meantime, this sister is praying. In the meantime, Brother Dan had called prayer here at the church on Friday night. And this altar was used for prayer. And we walked this building and prayed. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, day before yesterday, they called Mr. Tyler. They called Doug a uh, taxi. They said, we're sending you home. Ain't nothing wrong with you. 
with you in the emergency room. I've told this story so many times, but it's worth telling again. I was rushed to the emergency room with pain like I've never had before, except one pain. What is that pain? <laughs> it was so bad, can't you remember? Kidney stop. They rushed me to the hospital and I was screaming, screaming, screaming. I had so much pain. I had four doctors in the emergency room and about five nurses and they filled up that room and they were trying their best to help and get that pain down. And the head doctor came in and he said, there's only one thing to do. And what they were fixing to do was not nice, was not good. And they walked out. And all of them walked out of the emergency room. No one was left there but my wife and the secretary of our church, Teresa Hilliard. I don't scream much. Of course, I'm sensitive to pain. But I was screaming. Teresa Hilliard stood to her feet. And under the anointing of God with the authority of God's word and the spirit of God, she commanded that pain to leave. It left. I mean, it left. That's two years ago. He hadn't been back since. They never did anything to me. Let me tell you, God's here. He's Jehovah. Shama, and he's Jehovah, Rapha, Exodus. God is our healer. Come, brother man. God is our healer. He will touch us. He will heal us. I'm here to tell you. My wife sits here today healed. Isn't she pretty? God. She sits here today healed. God knows how to touch. I could go through all of you. Josie. She sits here today healed. And I could name many of you. God wants to heal you if you're sick today. I want you to receive it. Listen, if you have a need, let him be your Jehovah Jireh. If you're anxious today and unsettled about what's going on, let him be your Jehovah Shalom. If you're lonely, if you're unafraid, or if you're afraid, let him be your Jehovah Shalom. If you have a prey, let him be your Jehovah Shammah. If you want him to lead you, let him be your Jehovah Rohai. And then if you need healing, let him be your Jehovah Rapha. Father, we close this part of the service with prayer. Lord, somehow I feel such